everybody. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame. I'm Jamie Berger. This is episode six. My friend Lois is a psychiatrist in San Francisco. She wrote me last week to tell me that she has been listening and enjoying the podcast, but she wants to hear more from me about my feelings about fame and why I'm doing this. I told her at this point I was more comfortable just trying to sneak that in between my conversations with other people. But that didn't satisfy her, and she had an idea for how I might be more comfortable laying down a bit of a foundation for what this zany 15 minutes thing is all about. Lois Parkinson recently started the blog The Feminist Psychiatrist, in which she shares what's going on in one shrink's head. You can find that at thefeministpsychiatrist.com. To give you an idea of what you're in for, Lois insisted that I add this disclaimer, that this episode not be construed as a therapy session, since she obviously did not refrain from sharing her opinions and experiences. Lois Parkinson and I talked by phone last week. Yeah, so do you want to be famous, Jamie Berger? I was afraid you'd get to that. <laughs> I'm um, going to cut right to it, yeah, right off the bat. Uh, yeah, Let's get no, it out of the yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, um, the way I always answer that in my head or in my notebook or in my little journal entries to myself is that I've always wanted to make something. I don't know if I want to be. If I've wanted to be famous, I certainly don't crave the being stopped on the street kind of famous. And when I, yeah. when I think about, you know, uh, I read a New Yorker profile of the president about a year and a half ago, and I think I mentioned this in one of the episodes, although I may have edited it out, that he, he and I mentioned that it's a very uh, leader of the free world <laughs> uh, problem. In, in other words, you know, he, he shouldn't complain that much, but he's sad that he has pretty much forever lost the ability to just walk into a diner and have breakfast and say hi and chat with someone without being Barack Obama for the rest of his life. Yeah. Wow. And, That's and intense. I would never want to become that. I, I really, yeah. because you'd never feel like anyone was just being uh, straight up with you as another just human being on the earth. Uh, yeah. But I've always wanted to make something that, that, I am proud that I made and that a fair number of people outside of my immediate circle of friends and friends of friends also acknowledge and say, that's really good. And, and with that would come the ability to say, hey, this person I don't know who I really like your work, here's this thing I made. If you liked it, I have this idea for us to do this thing. <laughs> so yeah. you know, that in that sense, I want a certain level of and somebody else mentioned this uh, to me, the, the, the difference between fame and acclaim. Mm. I, I certainly want a certain amount of acclaim that I have 
either not achieved or run away from before I've gotten to it or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have things to say. And I think you have things to, to show and teach. I think we probably, most of us do, don't we? But why yeah. do some people feel like they do more than other people? I don't know. That's, that's a very anyway. important, yeah. Uh, John Hodgman mentioned it, that the, the most successful people are, are the kind of sociopaths who really feel enti- yeah. entitled to just speak to the world. Yeah, well, and I said this to you and when we were texting back and forth about this conversation that, um, you know, I think, I think all of us have, should have some fantasy of fame as children because a certain level of self-confidence and narcissism is, I think, necessary to, be, to survive, to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And so then who does that fade for and, like, who doesn't it? And and I think again, you're saying fame or acclaim. Like you just you want people to take you seriously, have things to share with them. Is that right? Am I like yeah. putting words in your mouth? No, you, no. Yeah. So that's interesting. And then there's that other level of like sociopathy, which leads me to think about you know. So I'm sure at some point in here you'll say I'm a psychiatrist, and mm-hmm. I have I've been in private practice for like. Over 10, well, 10 years, a little over 10 years, which is kind of crazy to think. Wow. Yeah, and so, you know, I've worked with a couple people here and there who have an interest in being known, and, and I, I feel like there's always an important uh, distinction to make about, about what that means. Like, are they creating something because they've, there is a love of the creation, there is a desire to, you know, make and show Maybe mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about with the mm-hmm. claim too, versus versus the wanting to be known. And if so, what? Why? You know, is that like to prove that you're good enough? Is it because you know somebody needs to love you to make up for mom or dad? And in that case, like we need to look more closely. Well, if you don't actually enjoy the thing you're trying to do in order to get there, and then you don't get it, that's going to be terrible disappointment mm-hmm. and a lot of wasted time. Mm-hmm. But if you enjoy what you're doing, no matter whether you get there or not, hopefully you'll be happy, which I think you and John were saying, too, in that first conversation, which is a lovely sentiment and, and important to think about. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that, as much as I hate the phrase, speaks a lot, a lot too, but it speaks to um, my own, you know, all my life I have looked up to great writers and I have yeah. been a miserable writer, although most writers are miserable, and we all hate to write. I think I am less... You've been miserable in that you've been unhappy, because as someone who has read your stuff, you are a, a good writer. Oh, <laughs> Not thank miserable you. to read. Oh, thank you. Um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the actual writing is, is very painful, and it is for many writers, but I'm also, unlike a lot of them, a very social person. And this kind of circles around to what you were saying, in that I wanted to be a writer more than I wanted to write. I grew up idolizing writers, you know, very and very dark ones. And I'm not a very dark person, you know. Uh, Harold Pinter, Samuel Beckett, dark, dark stuff, you know. And musicians like Joy Division, you know. And I'm not that guy, but I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be sadder. <laughs> I 
Um, so can you tell me how how this came about, the idea of the podcast? Like, how did it evolve? Because my memory has never been great. It's all kind of vague. But about two and a half years ago, I started listening to podcasts. I, I've, I've liked listening to certain people who talk by themselves, but I've never thought that I could do that. It's just not, I'm not, I don't have the ego that's, that's built for that exactly. So I had the idea, you know, of, of A, it should be talking to people. And then I don't know why exactly, just because fame, you know, I, I made two performance art pieces. I don't, you knew me after I made them. Two monologues. Th those were monologues, but they were on stage. It was kind of different. But uh, one was about regrets and one was about uh, questions. But the one about regrets, I made it because I wanted to come to terms with at too young an age being a big regretter. And it started from my mother one day saying to me, I have no regrets. And I was like, really? And so I recorded her saying, I have no regrets. And that became the kernel for this, this performance art piece. Uh, in which I talk about her having no regrets and I would bring three people, it was called Regrets Only, and I would bring three people up from the audience to tell a regret on stage. And I would talk about my mother and people would regret everything from hurting someone's feelings in eighth grade to having sold that house in the Oakland Hills way too early to, uh -huh. to er everything and it was really some things were really moving the, the one was there was one who got up and regretted bullying someone and it was amazing he was like in his mid-70s I think at the, and he was he was amazing and in the second half of the show this is quite a digression but maybe it'll get in here maybe it won't no because you come up with good topics and also regrets and fame mm -hmm. not unrelated so in the first half of the show the people come up I talk about my mom and how unlike we are and how I regret doing things and not doing things equally. And then the second half of the show, I talked about how when I made it, I was getting, I was turning 30 or something. And I've always wanted to do a standing backflip and I'm, I'm getting older. I knew in my heart that if I trained and worked hard, I could do a standing backflip. So I went to the circus school up in a uh, park in San Francisco. And I, f I forget the name of Acro sports. And and I showed up and I met this guy named Yuri. Uh, he was in his 50s, older, tiny little guy, a uh, retired Russian gymnast. And I said, I just want to learn how to do a backflip. Can I learn how to do a backflip? And he was like, well, we have classes. And I'm like, ah, I, I just I want you to train me and I, to do this one thing. And so for six months, and he didn't really understand why. He, he was kind of baffled. But he's like, okay, we, we will do this. <laughs> I like that. And, uh, and, and so he trained me, and he spotted me, and I got better and better, and uh, at and I was developing the the monologue at the same time. And at the end of it, I could pretty much always do it, you know, I could do it unspotted. But when we started rehearsing the show, my fear and the fact that I wasn't that good at it <laughs> were more palpable if someone was spotting me. So at the end of the show, I'd finish telling my stories, and I'd tell the story about going and training and getting better and better at it. And at the end of the show, I would strip down to a pair of shorts, put on my sneakers, and someone would come up. Uh, it was my, my, my then wife or another friend, and I would do a backflip, and that would end the show. Your then wife, who was a dancer, which is helpful to know. Yes, she was a dancer and a choreographer. Envision that's just like a woman uh, trying yes, to catch a man yes, doing a backflip. A very strong... But 
capable person <laughs> to catch me. Yes. The, the point of it is, of all of this, is that after doing that show, I was and am much less of a regretter. And it relates to this new topic in that I've always kind of been both repulsed and attracted by this this fame thing and and it's gotten in my way and it's it, it's it's it, it's made me I know Malcolm Gladwell writes about having to have 10,000 hours to to be great at something is that or right to be a professional yeah and it's been debated a lot and I disagree with I fight with a friend who's a comic about it a lot because yeah. uh, uh, with uh, my, Eugene who will be on here later another time because he really is a believer that if that anybody could be a successful stand up with 10,000 hours and I'm like I've 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 known stand ups uh, I tried to do it for a year who will never be successful or funny so that there is a certain well, my point is I've spent 5 to 8,000 hours at like a dozen things and then for one reason or another I always move on to something else yeah which maybe it's because it's time to move on, or do you mm-hmm. wonder that, or do you, I mean, how do you feel about the fact that you've started things and then moved on to other things? Well, my mother wrestled with this perhaps more than I did, because she was always very supportive and uh, very frustrated <laughs> when, I would, when I would move on, and she would, she would try to figure out whether I had a fear of success or a fear of failure. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Or, or what it was that I feared. Do you feel her, um, you know, influence in any of this? Like, where, where is she in it? You certainly talk about her a lot as we're talking. Do I? <laughs> no regrets. Uh, uh, yep, yep, that's true. Know. That's true. No, no, no. In our, I, in our 20 yeah, minutes in that our we've 20 been minutes. talking. <laughs> Every time I start something big and brand new, I think about her absence because she was always... Uh, and and one of the reasons I, I haven't written very much at all in those years is that she was always my first audience, and she always got it. She always got what I was trying to do and had valuable critique to offer. So uh, I, I think I still hear her voice and think about it. Her what she would be saying about this uh, now. Uh, yeah, I think about her a lot at these times. So yeah, maybe that's why she's coming up. That's interesting. I mean, I you know I'm also a mother, which is we're catching up a little bit as we're talking about this. And um, and my son is five and a half now, and I was thinking about him too as I was thinking about your podcast and um, how he's at the mo- at the moment he's been in this stage for I don't know maybe six months, maybe less, things change so quickly, where he needs to be the best of things for me. You know, like, if I compliment someone else on something they did well, like, oh, that's a handsome haircut to one of his friends, which has actually happened over the weekend, one of his four-year-old buddies. Um, and he's like, what about my hair? Is his hair more handsome than my hair? And I'm like, ah, because <laughs> he needs to have the most yeah. handsome hair to his mommy. And I'm like, so, you know, this is kind of the kernel, and this is appropriate development, right, of, like, needing to be the best at something, needing to be seen by your mommy, um, and then thinking about, I guess I'm thinking about fame, those of those, those people who go on to be highly accomplished, I think a lot of times they have to have really supportive parents, and then there can be another side to this of people who are looking for acknowledgement mm-hmm. because they couldn't mm-hmm. get it from their parents, you know, like, so two different paths, I guess I'm... 
I'm sure there are yeah, many. I, sometimes ones, I think but. it's the people in the middle who are the least ambitious. The, the people who've had the, the pretty yeah. stable, somewhat supportive parents. Maybe a little uh-huh. parents who are a little too careful but uh-huh. supportive, which is I think, yeah, yeah. Careful, yes. Like yeah. let's do something that you know. Let's be stable. Let's keep. Yeah. Let's not rock the boat too much. But just have a good life, which is you know. Hey, I'm all for people just having good lives. Well, I'm, okay, I would say, Jamie, that, like, taking risks and doing things is the no regrets, mm-hmm. and that you also have to do that in order to do things that get acknowledged and seen by people as yeah. risk-taking. Yeah. And I've never veered too far away from that, although the older I get, it's harder. One of the reasons I haven't started this sooner is that it's harder and harder to take risks. Ah, I'm not sure why. Yeah. But hmm. it is, yeah. yeah. You're not sure why. You personally, for you personally, it has gotten harder to take risks, although you are still taking a risk. Yeah. But what do you mean by harder? It feels riskier. More like, is it the fear of what people will say or yes. think about it? Yes. Okay, so the negative part of fame is what people could think about you. You're talk, you know, you were talking about Barack Obama, what people could think about you, who they could think you are, how that could affect you. I, I'm really interested in that part. Maybe I'm interested in the dark side of fame. And I don't, I don't fear that so much uh, uh, if, you're, if we're really having a session here. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working. I'm working through it as as we talk. Is it fear of success or failure or what? That's that's. Um. I didn't like it when people thought something about me that wasn't true, but it's not going to stop me from, you know, being myself. It, it, that isn't. I think it's more fear of making something that's not good in terms of a piece okay. of art and, and being like, oh, I, I made this thing and I made you listen to it and it's, 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 it, 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 I made you spend time on this thing that is not worthwhile. <laughs> that's, well, that's yeah, the or, fear. and then, or, isn't there kind of a fear with this too? And as a, you know, now I'm making my blog of, and I find myself blocked at times, of what if I think it's good and other people don't think it's good, and then they're going to be like, oh, there's that woman who thinks something's good and it's not, like the emperor has no clothes. That kind of a feeling. And then they have to say something to you. But will they? People don't give enough feedback right now. It feels like something's happening in our society where people don't say the negative thing they feel, or they say it in a place where you can't respond to it and you don't maybe... I don't know. I agree. No, no, no. They, they, they either are trolls or they're silent. Yes. Oh, and I had my first troll. Did which, you? Which made me very happy. Uh, after the, after <laughs> the, the first... <laughs> so I have to admit, I, I guess I don't fear uh, the, the hatred too much. After the first episode, somebody wrote on the Facebook page... Uh, I'm going to try to say... Uh, yes, yes. Um, why don't you try being a little famous first before you talk about fame you effing yeah. homophobic slur that starts with an f wow and Man, i was like someone got I, mad I, and, at and, your and, self-confidence and I, I i before blocking him i wrote back just <laughs> thank you for the attention 
<laughs> and, then, and, then I, I and then I blocked him. Um, oh, that's great. I love the way you handled it, too. Yeah. Very, that's very nice. I, I was very proud of myself, I have to say. And, yeah. And, and it, was, it might be someone who knows me, I think. But I, it's interesting you mentioned that people, because I crave, all those years, uh, I did the blog on masculinity with my friend Dan Oppenheimer, who I'm going to talk to on here, who's having great success as an author. But uh, we did this thing for three, four, five years. I don't know, a long time. And we really enjoyed it. But the way the Valley Advocate had their blogs set up, they didn't, it wasn't easy for them to run numbers. So we never, and people just didn't comment. And so we both got kind of like, this isn't our little journal for ourselves. But after we stopped, then people were like, oh, why aren't you doing the, the, the blog anymore? I used to read it all the time. I'm like, you could have just put a comment that said thumbs up or something or, you know, or, or disagreed. Yeah. When we keep going off topic, does this yes. mean we more okay. or less finished right. our topic of fame or do we have more things to say about it? Um, I don't know. See. I feel like this is, this is a lot like uh, what a lot of my therapy has been like. It's been me going off topic because I feel like I'm boring my therapist. So I have to find some other topics. Well, let me, let me turn the tables a little bit. Mm, okay. So you're a psychiatrist and a therapist, you know, you're a therapist and you, mm -hmm. there's no reason you should make a blog Oh, right. In fact, there's reason not to make a blog. Yes, because it's risky. It's very risky. Oh, this is interesting. So, yeah, so, well, and you know, did you read my cautionary introduction to my blog? Of mm -hmm. like, if you're one of my clients, you may not want to continue because, like, they don't really need to know things about me. If anything, it could complicate their, the work they're doing with me. But then I have to say that the... the so I'm, like, supposed to be anti-famous. I'm supposed to be, like, neutral and... But I run into my clients out in the world on the streets, which is horrible for me. That is a small amount of, like, what you're talking about, that aversion of you don't want people to see you. Like, maybe I'm wearing, like, my scrubby pants and my hair is all dirty and I'm your psychiatrist. Hello. Um, yeah, I don't really want that. But, but at the same time with the blog, like, I have things I want to say, too, and it's been um, – it, it was a real struggle just to think, well, like, am I willing to take a risk that maybe my clients or people who know me through my practice would read this and have strong reactions to it? And that, that um, kind of made me angry, thinking that I was limited in that way. Like, I can't express myself because I have to just be this blank screen. It I maybe want, made me want to express myself that much more because I'm not one to be... Um, I don't like to be limited. Mm -hmm. Good for you, because because there's also there's this there's this kind of divide, just like with everything else, where if you're like that the, the troll who was mad yeah. at me, it's like I'm not famous enough to talk about fame, and you're not you're not you're not <laughs> you're not Oliver Sacks, so you can't talk about psychiatry because you're compromising. But if you were big enough, then, then you're entitled to it. Yes. Who, who do I think I am? Who do I think I am? My, um, my new uh, um, boyfriend, whatever you want to call these things. And it feels like I'm too old to have a boyfriend, so my new partner or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I don't like that word. 
Are you starting a business together? <laughs> yeah, okay, my new lover. We, we, there you go. we say that uh, that whole who do you think you are is a very, gee, are you familiar with that feeling? Like, that's very middle of the country. Like, don't get too big for your britches. Like, who do you oh, think huge. you are? Yeah, absolutely. Is that the whole country? I've spent my whole life feeling that way. <laughs> okay. Because he's from Tennessee, I'm from Missouri. We were thinking it was related to that, but maybe not. No, no. I've I've always even yeah. You know, I was never in a you know. I've always been you know. I was a big music fan growing up, and I was never in a band because I I didn't feel I felt like I hadn't I that that I I held I held music on such a high pedestal. Whereas I listened to punk rock, you know, where you just pick up a friggin' instrument and play it. But I held the artists I loved on such a high plane that I didn't dare do it. Who did I think I am? Yeah, so I never, never was in a band. So I'm, I'm doing the podcast. Well, I wanted to ask you what it's going to feel like when, when, you, when you have a book in your hand with your name on it. Um, mm. What will that mean to you? Wow, I, I won't believe it. I think I'll, I'll think this is amazing and I'm so proud of myself. Wow. And who else do you want to have it in their hands? Definitely. Uh, yeah, well, that's tough stuff. You'd be a good therapist, Jamie. I'm not really willing <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, you might not have an answer. that yeah. <laughs> right now. But that's, that's why it's people. awkward Yeah, to say, I want attention. Thank you so much for, A, responding, and B, coming up with a way for me to talk a little bit about why I'm doing this and what fame means to me. Well, this is super fun, Jamie. It's fun to talk to you. All right. Bye. I'm not sure, but I think that if Sheila Berger, the mother in question, heard that conversation, she would have said, that's really interesting. Don't post it. But sometimes you have to do things that your wise mother wouldn't want you to do. One thing I loved about that conversation is that Lois actually said, how do you feel about that once? Which definitely added to the therapeutic nature of the conversation for me. So thank you one more time, Lo. Lois Parkinson's blog, The Feminist Psychiatrist, can be found at thefeministpsychiatrist.com. In the performance piece that I made, Regrets Only, the best thing that came out of it for me was that I did a standing backflip, something that I feared growing old and never doing, and then adding to a list of regrets. And ever since doing the piece, I've had fewer and fewer regrets. I'd also like to give a shout out to my father, who didn't get mentioned today, but brought us that great story about Muhammad Ali last week, and I bet we'll be back on at some point. Thanks, Pop. To wrap up today, let me tell you a story about the worst experience I ever had doing that show. So somewhere along the run of, I think, five weeks that I was doing it in a small theater in San Francisco, I would always do a practice backflip before the show, spotted and on the stage. 
But for some reason, one Friday night, <clears throat> I was feeling cocky, I guess, and I decided that I would do one on my own, like I did when I was in the gym. And I also, for some reason, thought it would be wise to do it not on the wooden stage, but on the cement floor below the stage. So I put on my sneakers and I put on my shorts and I limbered up and then I jumped up in the air and landed on my head and neck. I, I didn't kill myself or break my neck, but uh, I was in pain and more than that, I was in shock and fear and it was about six o'clock and the show was at eight. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to get up and do a backflip tonight, with or without a spotter. So 7 o'clock rolled around, 7.15. I still was like, I don't know what to do. And I was talking to my wife and my director, and I was saying, I, I, I don't think I can do the show tonight. 7.45 rolls around, and we've got about a dozen reservations, which usually means about double that or more and people actually coming. <clears throat> And no one has arrived. 7.50, no one's arrived. 5 to 8, one guy comes. He had a reservation. He sits down. 8.05, 8.10, nobody else. And that's when the theater's proprietor arrived and told us that O.J. Simpson was driving around Los Angeles in the slowest speed chase ever, being followed by dozens of police cars as he rode around in the back of a white Bronco. And a huge portion of America canceled their plans that night and sat and watched on live TV as a great American hero ran from the police, or really almost walked from the police, threatening to hurt himself. I came out on stage and I welcomed the, the one guy to the show and told him about what had happened, both to OJ and to me, invited him backstage where we had a small TV, and we all sat for a couple hours and watched OJ. So in a sense, I suppose I owe a slight debt of gratitude to OJ Simpson for not making me do a backflip that night. I did come back and do one the next night. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.